Today we are in our third week of conversations with God, and uh, today I'm I'm excited about this message because I think on some level we've all experienced what I'm about to talk about, uh, 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 probably consistently in our lives. And so the title of my message this morning is "When Heaven Seems Silent." Anybody ever pray for something and just feel like you've not heard anything back? that God's not moved and your situation has not changed and you've just got this feel like, are you even hearing me right now? Anybody ever feel that way before? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so we've been just trying to make this contact with God. And last week we talked about um, how Jesus took time to teach his disciples how to pray. And, and we broke down the Lord's Prayer and, and gave some practical uh, uses uh, to, uh, to pray. And then we issued a challenge to pray 15 minutes a day to start your day. And um, so I'm going to check up. Pastor's going to check up on his people. How many of y'all, you don't have to necessarily raise your hand, but how many, if you want to, feel free to. But how many of y'all took the challenge and have been successfully praying every morning to start out your day. How many, if you're willing to raise your hand like me, how many of you attempted it but kind of fell off before the week ended? And that's, that's more commonplace for most. Um, the goal and the challenge is to just, just commit yourself to the process of seeking God and having conversation with God and giving Him the first part of your day. Because like I said last week, I have always found personally that when I pray in the morning, my day seems to some, oftentimes go a little easier, but even if it doesn't go a little easier, I seem to have a little bit more patience for my day. And even if I lose a little bit of patience, there seems to be enough time to recapture my day when I'm giving the beginning of it to God. However, on the flip side, when I've not done that, I've found myself at the end of the night being exhausted and saying, well, crap, I didn't talk to God today. And then, of course, we don't then because... We're too tired, or maybe you've been like me before and say, you know what, I'm still going to talk to God, and part of the way through my conversation, I fell asleep on him. Uh, maybe I'm the only one who's done that. Um, anybody, anybody ever have like your spouse having a conversation and they just fall asleep on you? Has that ever happened to y'all? Happened to me. Happens to me a lot. Happens to me regularly. Happened to me last night. And mid-word, my, my wife is out cold, and I'm like, Alicia, nothing. I'm like, all right, time to go to sleep. I don't know, I just tend, something happens when I lay down in the bed. I lay down in the bed, all of a sudden, all these thoughts come to me, and I want to talk about them, and she just wants to go to sleep. I get it. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to get into this message and talk about this, and we're going to go first, and I shared this passage of scripture last week a little, for a little bit, just as a background, but today we're going to talk about it a little bit deeper. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. I'll be reading out the New Living Translation. The Bible says in Matthew 6, verse, starting in verse number 5. This should be up on the screen for you. There it is. It says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything 
will reward you. Some versions say your father who sees everything in private will reward you openly in some verses, in some versions of the Bible. And we'll get to that in just a moment. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them for, the fa- for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And so a couple of things in this passage that I'm, I want to break out, I want to pull out. There's like three things in this passage and then something else that's just come to my, my spirit this morning that I want to share with you as well. But um, the first thing that I want to share with you out of this passage of scripture, and this is in your notes, it's one of the blanks in your notes, you can go ahead and follow along if you like. But one of the things I believe that Jesus requires and expects when we have conversation with him is to simply just be real. Is to just be real. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and street corners to be seen by others. That's, that's, that's what, that, that standing up there, and I don't know, maybe you've had some experience with this. Maybe you've done this. I know I have probably a time or two in my life, but we stand there and we pray and we want people to look at us and see that we, we have the right words to pray or we have the right ideas and thoughts to prayer, but that's pretty much your only reward when you pray that way is what you're going to receive from everybody around you watching. God has already declared in that moment, I'm not hearing you because he says that's not that's not how you have conversation with me, not in front of everyone with all the right words and, and kind of praying like this, and, and you're praying, and you're kind of looking around. Who's looking at me? Are they watching me? They, are they hearing the words that I speak, that they know that I have what it takes? Jesus said some are hypocrites and want to see, be seen by people. Matter of fact, it becomes more of a performance than it has a conversation. And so we've got to be able to take prayer from a ritual to a ritualistic place, to a very real place. And I shared this last week a little bit when I talked about how I pray, and I, I, I literally simply just say, God, you know what? I screwed up today. This is what happened in my life. This is what I did. This is the choices that I made. This is, what, this is what I said. This is what I did. Or sometimes I say, God, you know what? This day just pretty much sucked. Can I have a do-over? And the do-over is real simple. It's like, I forgive you. There's your do-over. I forgive you. You made a mistake. That's all right. I got you back. I forgive you. When you ask for forgiveness, there is forgiveness, but he just wants you to be real. He doesn't want you to have this religious performance. He wants authenticity. He knows who you are. He knows what you know, and he wants you to be real with him, not to try to impress people with your prayer, not to try to earn extra points because of your stellar performance. Don't try to impress God with your your heavenly fathers and, your, and all of your language that you think he wants to hear because we have this concept of thing. We think that God wants to hear us pray a specific way. He just wants to hear from you, people. He just wants to hear from us. It's not let me talk a certain way or say a certain thing or sound a certain way or dress a certain way. He wants to just hear from his people because, unfortunately, he's not hearing from us enough. And so he just wants us to be real. The second thing you can find in that, in that passage of scripture, I believe, is that he just wants you to be relaxed. We get so tense in prayer, like, I think because we have this perspective of God that, that he's judging. He's judging me by what I'm about to say. 
or he's, he's just holding out his, his iron fist and, and he's about to say, oh, I'm going to judge and pound you because you say the wrong words and we get tense in prayer and Jesus just wants us to find that special place. He wants us just to close the door and just remove distractions from our life and just relax. We get, he doesn't want us to be tense. He wants us to just be relaxed and take a deep breath because here's what I've come to realize. My, hurt, my need to be hurried and my, need, my tenseness is what kills my conversation with God. Because it, it's in that moment that we're tense and it's in that moment that we're hurried that we're missing the fact that he's just trying to embrace us. And he's trying to love us. And the third thing that you can find in Matthew chapter 6 is he, so he wants us to be real. He wants us to be relaxed. And then here comes the challenging part of prayer and conversation for all of us is he wants us to be revealing. He wants you to be revealing. He wants you to be honest with what's going on inside of you. We have this, this crazy notion that, well, if I just speak to God like this, and I say this, maybe he'll be pleased with me, or maybe he won't discipline me real bad, but we fail to realize that he already knows everything. According to scripture, he already knows what we're going to ask before we even ask it, yet we feel like we have to frame it in a way that makes us look good. You know, so let me, let me give you an example. So your day was spent and you were, you were enjoying your day and you're driving home from work and maybe you had a long day at work or maybe something happened to you and, and then the wrong person just in the wrong time at the wrong place decides they want to cut you off. And you're driving and in that moment you got two choices. You can just deep breath back off and relax or you can hit the gas and put your car right up near their bumper making sure that they can see your face in their rearview mirror and you have some choice words for them or maybe even a choice gesture with your hands. And then later on that evening, maybe you go to prayer and you realize, oh man, I made this mistake. I shouldn't have responded that way and I need to ask God to forgive me. And we begin our prayer something like this, Father, I made a mistake today, but that person, they cut me off. So prayer immediately shifts from your mistake to their mistake, and now this is the conversation that is not revealing to God, because here's the reality. It makes no difference what someone else has done to you. All that matters is what you've done in response, because the reality is we cannot control what others do to us. Now, that's driving, and that's trivial, and it doesn't really matter in life, because although I would say that probably half of all sin takes place behind the wheel of a car. I know probably half of mine does. But the reality is when we come to God with those moments, it's always the same as our conversation with someone else. So yeah, you know, I kind of responded the wrong way, but let me tell you what this person said and let me tell you what this person did. And this is why I responded the way that I did. And, and now all of a sudden, I, in conversation with God, I'm justifying how I've responded. That's not neither real nor revealing. It is justifying my own sin, my own mistakes. And that's not something that conversation with God is supposed to bring. You should share what's really on your heart, what's really going on in your life. We get caught in cliched prayer. 
where we constantly lead us, guide us, direct us. And those are all great things. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to be guided. We want to be directed. But that's just where our, our, our prayer is just superficial. It just stays there. And if your prayer just stays there and never gets deep into what's really going on inside of you, I would say that you're probably not really having a conversation with God. You're just merely checking off a box on your to-do list. And that's not what conversation with God is about. Can you imagine if, um, if, my, if I walked into the door of my house and my kid's response to me being home is something like this. I, I read this online and I thought it was quite funny. I wanted to add it into this. He says, could you imagine if you walked in the door and to, from work and your kids say this, oh, almighty procreator of our family, how wonderful thou art who sovereignly deposits our allowance to us. Oh, the majesty of thy wonderful self, I we beseech thee to come eat dinner with us. Could you imagine walking in the door to that kind of conversation? Let me tell you, in my house, that wouldn't be real. That wouldn't be revealing, and that's surely not relaxed. That's just like, what? And now in my creative mind of my own, I think that if I approach God that way, he's probably like, What? Hold on a minute. Let's, let's change that language a little bit. You know, let's, because for me to walk in the door, I'd prefer to hear, oh, daddy's home and be embraced by my children and be loved because I'm their father. And I would submit to you that I believe that's how God wants us to be with him. We want to love him because he's our father. We want to embrace him because he's our father and not throw these high phrases at him to make us sound like we have any idea what we're doing. I want my kids just to yell, daddy's home and come running over. Although that doesn't, as they get older, that happens less and less. My oldest will say, hi father. I just want to like slap her. I still have my youngest though, because she still yells daddy. Daddy, and she comes to me. I'm going to relish that as long as I can. But it's not, I'm not trying to say let's be, flip, be flippant with God or be disrespectful or not be in awe or, or, or be real with him, but that he wants to know what's in our heart. He wants to know what's drawing us to him. So there's just a few portions of scripture, a few portions and a few thoughts that came from the text today, but the one I want to share just another minute or two with you before we get into this idea of when heaven seems silent is when Jesus said, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He said, but when you go and pray into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I told you that sometimes he said, I will reward you openly. That's what that phrase actually means. Your father will reward you in the original language means, I will reward you openly. I will reward you publicly. Because what you do for him in private, he will reward you for publicly. 
And, and let me just, let me just, and this is not, some of y'all are not going to like this. You're going to feel like it's bragging. And I promise you, if you know anything about me, you know that's the least and furthest thing from me when it comes to the way I talk about God and, 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 and how he's blessed me. But here's one thing I will say that I have in, in my 17, 18-year journey with Christ have experienced a lot of ups and a lot of downs, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. I've experienced a lot of highs that God has brought me to and a lot of lows that I've brought myself to. I've experienced where I've had plenty and I've experienced when I've had nothing. I've had all these experiences across the board, but can I tell you that never in my life have I ever needed anything. And matter of fact, when you can look around and I've had this happen, here's a recent conversation not too long ago. I I like, here's one of the things I enjoy. I enjoy clothing. I actually like shopping. Yes, I am a guy who likes clothes shopping. Ask my daughter, her and I, we can get it, we can go to hook it up, and we go to the store, and we'll shop for hours. I enjoy it. It's, it's part of what I enjoy. Now, I pastor a church, and my wife's a school teacher, so there's not a whole lot of money there to buy when we close shop, but we look a lot. But here's the thing. Somebody even came up to me and said, man, you just, you must be really doing well, man. I see that. I saw that Michael Kors shirt you were wearing and I see those shoes that you always have all these different shoes, and they're all nice, and I know they're not all cheap, but can I tell you something? Here's how good God is when it comes to rewarding you openly. See, my private walk in with Christ is my private walk with Christ, but what he does openly is what he rewards you with openly. Sometimes it's materialistic things, sometimes it's not, but can I tell you that if I wear a nice pair of shoes, it's because somebody literally gave them to me brand new, gave them to me. I had a a gentleman who brought a tub of clothing over to my house, and it was big. I'm talking three, two and a half feet tall, two and a half, three feet wide, six feet feet long. It was a tub. I opened it up, and it was full of clothes, and I'm talking like Michael Kors shirts, Stacey Adams shoes, and that sounds trivial, right? That sounds like, oh, you're just bragging. I am, I'm bragging on what God can do and what he does for those that serve him privately. That's what I'm telling you right now. The things he does for you openly is because he, you have done something with him and in him privately. It's his word. I'm not bragging because there's anything special about me because the reality is there isn't. If you are in relationship with me long enough, you're going to know a couple of things about me. You're going to know, number one, I will absolutely offend you. I will say something that has opened my mouth and insert my foot and it's going to like, oh crap, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I will do that. Nate, you've been in a relationship with me for five years, brother. Have I offended you? See? You see what I'm saying? And I guarantee if we wanted to line up and talk about all the folks that have been in and out of this church over the last four years, I'd have a line out the door in the front of people I've offended. I'm just not, I'm just, I'm a person like you. If you would stand here and tell me, well, I've not offended anybody, then I would tell you you're a liar, and there I would have offended you again. But that's that's the reality, is I'm a normal human being like everyone else. There's nothing special about me. Nothing at all special about me, except that God is the one who created me, and that makes me special. But there's nothing else that I've done in life that suggests that I'm special, but God does bless me. And there's an openness, there's a public blessing that God has blessed me with that has direct reflection of my private walk with him. And now let me tell you, my private walk isn't perfect either. 
I've offended God, I'm sure. As a matter of fact, I'm positive of it. I've made a lot of mistakes in my faith and my walk with Christ. But like I said, man looks at what? The outside. God looks at what? The heart, the inside. That's what matters. It's not what's out here. You can, you can decorate ugly all day long. But what's ugly in here stays ugly until God does something with it. And that's just the facts. That's the reality. So there is a public blessing to a private walk, and that's only realized in the time you spend with God. It's not about all the things that I do right. It's about the time I spend with him. It's about what he does in me because I'm having conversation with him. Now, you know, sometimes we have these conversations with God and we're seeking God and, we're, and, and, there's, and we even get to a desperate place where we desperately need something for God and then all of a sudden, heaven seems silent. Matter of fact, Job in Job chapter 30, verse number 20, he said, I cry to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. Now, if you know the story of Job, you know what he was afflicted with and the challenges and struggles that he faced in life. You know, here's a Billy Graham, who is a giant in faith and leading people to Christ. He said, heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one even bothered to ask. Heaven is full of answers to prayers in which no one has even bothered to ask. But see, there's times when you felt like you've done everything you know to do. And you feel like God's not listening as is reflected in, in Job who suffered tremendous loss. And I tell you what, if, 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 I, was, if I was Job and is suffering what he has suffered, I would probably have the same feeling and be, not be motivated to pray because I, I feel like I'm calling out and I'm hearing nothing. Maybe someone here today has even said, well, prayer doesn't work for me. And so I'm, my hope is that this morning I can encourage you to never give up in speaking. So what do you do when heaven seems silent? That's the question we're going to answer today. What do you do when heaven seems silent? What do you do when prayers seem to go un unanswered? Is it us? Is it me? Is it God? What is it? Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3 says, you call to me and I will answer you. That's what God said to Jerem through Jeremiah. Call to me and I will answer you. There is no I'm not listening. There is no I'm not answering. Although there is prayer that we've talked about that God does not hear. If you're going to pray like the hypocrites do in the synagogue so that people can hear your voice and hear what you're saying and, and the focus is about you, then yeah, that, that's not prayer that God hears. If you have no walk with Christ whatsoever, you have no faith, you have nothing, and you begin to speak, God's probably not hearing a whole lot of what you have to say because he doesn't know you. And that's reflected in Matthew chapter 7 when he said what he said to the people who came to him and said, we prophesied in your name. And he says, what? Depart from me. I never knew you. So there are times that we know for certain that God is not hearing because he has said, he has said as much. But when you are seeking him and you're crying out to him and your heart is connected with him and then you hear nothing, you begin to wonder, is this false advertising? I mean, Jeremiah said, Call to me and I will answer you. See, the problem is this. Most of us don't understand the way God works. We're limited in our thinking to how God works. We think he has to work within a context that I understand. 
or a context that I can comprehend or a context that makes sense to me. And can I actually help you for a second? Let's, let's, let's try to remove that thought process from our mind because let me tell you something, serving Christ makes no sense. It makes no sense. I, I would stand and tell you that, hey, I don't know what I would do in my life without Christ, but at the same time, I'll tell you it makes no sense to serve Christ. I would die for some, a man who I've never seen, whom I've never met personally, whom I've never walked with side by side, but yet I would lay down my life for that. Does that make sense to anyone? If you're thinking logically, does that make sense to anyone? Or that, you know what, I would say, man, life is good. I'm doing pretty well. But God, you said to go pastor a church, so let's just do that. Let's just lay everything down. Forget about anything and everything that you've ever given me. Go, just step out of comfort and let's go, let's go do that. Let's go move to a city where we don't know anybody. Let's go move to a city, let's plant a church, and let's talk about being a multi-ethnic church and have other pastors tell you that you're wasting your time, you should just go home, and that's never going to happen here, and, and all these other things that I've heard. Let's just, yeah, let's just do that, because that makes sense. Or missionaries. How about missionaries? Let's talk about them. They're nuts. Let's just, get, let's just pick up everything we own and move to a foreign nation and possibly move to a nation in which they're going to hate me for being there, because that makes sense. I have friends of mine that are, that are missionaries in Jordan that... They ask for prayer. We support them, Jeff and Marianne Stone, and they just posted on their Facebook that they want prayer as they go into Iraq to find a place for God to call them. Does that make sense to anyone that a Christian who's called by God to win people to Christ as a missionary would go into Iraq to begin that process? No, that makes no sense. That's just foolishness. Yet when we pray and seek God, we think that the way he responds should make sense. Let me tell you something. Walking with Christ and serving Christ makes no sense. But today what I want to do is I want to argue God's case for a moment. Not that he needs my help, because he really doesn't, but I want to get you and him back on the same page. Anybody ever been a mediator in an argument where you're trying to get two people back on the same page? It can be a challenging task. So pray for me for the next 15 or 20 minutes while I try to get you and God back on the same page. So when it seems like prayers go unanswered, I want you to remember five things. There's five things I'm going to give you that I want you to remember. They're in your notes. You can write these down, and I even gave you a whole bunch of space on the backside to take your own notes. But number one, you have to understand that God doesn't have blind spots. God doesn't have blind spots. What does that mean? God is like a traffic report from a helicopter. When, you, when you're driving along and you're driving and you want to change lanes, you got to look into your mirror, but you got to kind of glance over your shoulder too because there's a blind spot that your mirror doesn't pick up, but there could be a car there. Now, I'm thankful for technology because my van will tell me that there's somebody there with a little bright yellow light on my mirror. But if you, my other car that I have and my truck that I have, they're not telling me anything. I got to look. I got I to gotta look where I'm going. Well, if you were driving, if you were viewing traffic from above in a helicopter, you would see it all. You would see everything going on. You'd see these cars turning in and out. You'd see every, there'd be no blind spots. That's how God is. God is like the traffic in a report from a helicopter. He has a better vantage point at life than you do. Because you're walking in life this way and you can see what's around you when you are aware. At your very most awareness, you can see what's to the left and to the right and possibly sometimes what's behind you. 
But God sees all of it. He's got the better vantage point. Not only does he have a better vantage point from above to see where you are now, he can see where you're going that you cannot. And it's by faith that you take these steps and you take this walk and hope that you get to where God wants you to go. He has, does not have blind spots. Sometimes he's gonna, you're going to be taking a route and he says, you know what, I've got an alternate route for you. And we don't like alternate routes. Anybody, I, I've had to deal with an alternate route for like the last, I don't know, three or four months around my kid's school. The road between my house and Richwood's high school has been closed and you have to go this way and this way and this way and this way to get back out to where you want to go. And I'm not fa a fan of being inconvenienced with alternate routes. And then all of a sudden, if I can be honest, you know, I see, well, they've got this road over here to the left. It's an alternate route, but it's a lot easier alternate route than going through this neighborhood. Let me go through there. Yeah, but there's some orange cones. That's okay. I think I can squeeze my car through those orange cones because it's going to be faster. And if you've been around Richwoods High School, you know the area I'm talking about. I've even, here's, and this is, there's, this is a spiritual application now, Okay. I've even gotten, I've even pulled up to one of those orange cones, parked my car, got out, and moved it just a little bit so I can fit through. I know the road is finished on the other side. It's okay. Those, after all, those orange cones are just like a suggestion, right? Kind of like the speed limit. It suggests that I should do 65 on this road, not 80. Am I wrong? Y'all are laughing. Am I, am I wrong? Am I misreading something here? The reality is, that's what we do. We don't like alternate routes. So when we get to something and says, oh, well, we got to change direction a little bit. We're like, no, 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 no. Let's just make a little space we can squeeze through. Here's what happened one time when I did that. I made some space. I squeezed through to come up to a place where I couldn't squeeze through. I couldn't make any space. The barrier went from one end to the other, and it was one big solid barrier. I would have had to get out and actually move the entire thing that weighed more than me. And I'm looking at this thing like, I think I can move it. And then I looked and said, there's some construction workers over there. They see me move this thing. Maybe they call the cops on me. Now all of a sudden I'm starting to realize maybe what I'm doing is probably not the right thing. So let's bust a little U-turn and let, let me tell you then what's happened. Now I have spent so much time trying to make my own path that I would have just been where I wanted to be if I'd have just taken the alternate route. But this is what we do in our faith and our walk with Christ. It's like, now nah, you know what? This seems like it's going to be easier because it's going to be a little bit shorter. I can get there a little bit faster. This will work. And by the time it's all said and done, you've had to do U-turns and three-point turns, and you've had to go up on the curb to get back down. And all of a sudden, it's like, now I'm late because I could have just gone the alternate route. That's what God does in your life. He brings alternate routes don't be so stuck to, you see, this is, this is what GPS has made us dumb. GPS has made us dumb. You could turn GPS on to go somewhere you know you've been a hundred times, and you're driving, and all of a sudden, you just, oh, wait a minute. I can't go this way. That road's closed. But you've known that road's been closed for three months. Why are you going that way in the first place? Because we get stupid to GPS. How many of you, how many of you, seriously, how many of you have put an address in your GPS you followed in direction, and you could not, without GPS, couldn't find it again. See, some of y'all, see, not, you don't want to even be honest. I, 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 that, that's me. I've thrown so much stuff in GPS, I don't think I can find half the places I've been without it. But that's, that's what we do. We get so stuck to one way, to one path, to one direction, that we 
only see that, we don't see the alternate route. And here's what you miss on the alternate, on the alternate route. You miss all that God's trying to do in your life and through your life and the alternate route. I can guarantee many of you who've been walking with Christ for any length of time find it very interesting or weird that you ever ended up in a church that meets in a movie theater. I'm guessing for most of y'all that was an alternate route and not the one that you imagined that you would be in. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says it like this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable. He's got the route. He's seeing it. He's got that eye in the sky view of your life. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 2 verse 8 says this, he guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Sometimes your alternate route is going to take you a place that keeps you from harm in the easier, faster route. But the only way you know about this alternate route is if you are having conversation with him. No conversation means I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going means I'm going to be led somewhere where I don't want to be and ultimately it's going to hurt. So when you feel like heaven is silent, you've got to remember that God doesn't have blind spots. He's not blinded by anything that's happened to you. He's not blinded by anything that you are going to do. He sees it all. The other thing, the second thing you have to know and understand about God is God does have a better idea. Hey, just in case you didn't realize this, God is smarter than you. God knows a little bit more than you. Just a little bit. I mean, he did say, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are above your thoughts. So he does know a little bit more than us. He has a better idea. Matter of fact, Isaiah said it like this in verse, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. He's like, you think like this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He has a better idea than you. God has more than one way of doing things. For, exa- doing things. for example, in your finances, God has more than one way of doing things. You know, you being blessed financially is not always connected to what you do for a living. Okay, let me, let me just get back on my brag on God train again. I pastor a church, uh, and this is up until the last couple of months, I took my very first job in five years outside, uh, my very first job in 15 years outside of ministry, but my very first job to make any kind of money I took in five years just a couple of months ago. But up until that point, I got paid, you ready for this? I, I told you, I'm, I'm real and I'm transparent. I got paid $1,600 a month to pastor this church. How many of y'all think you can live on that? I got a family, three kids. All of them play travel sports. All of them cost me a flipping fortune all the time. Got to pay for this, got to pay for that. Oh, I need to do shoes. They can't, be, they, can't be, they can't be shoes from Payless with Velcro on them. No, 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 no. I got my son, I got to have the Currys. I got to have the Stephs, dad. Or now recently I have to have the new Kyries, dad. It's like, goodness gracious kids cost money. My wife's a school teacher. You do the math. School teacher. She's a substitute school teacher now, but before she was a school teacher, part-time pay at a pastor, substitute school teacher. You do the math. Should I be able to live and afford my five-person my five family? 
God doesn't just connect what I have to what I do. He connects what I have to what, I, what he does. So I have enough to take care of my family because he gives it to me. That's the bottom line. It's creative. God is creative. It's, it's not all about what I do. I can't be the one saying, oh, I, I got to hustle. I got to do all this and do 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 that and do this. Then I know I'm going to have enough to take care of my family. That's not how it works. God is so gracious with everything that he owns that he gives it to those people that he knows he can get it from. And he just keeps on giving it to those that he can get it from. He just keeps on. And it's my dad, my dad, I'll tell you my dad, my dad told me a great story a long time ago. He actually attempted, and I wouldn't suggest this, although maybe you could try this. He attempted one time to outgive God. Like he, he was blessed financially. He wasn't like wealthy or anything, but he was blessed financially. And he's like, I'm just going to keep on giving because God did something in his heart. And he just kept on giving and he kept on giving and he kept on giving until one day he looks up and I don't know, he's the CEO of a company. He's making high six figures. And in one year, almost made like $1.5 million. He didn't change. His job didn't change. Everything just around him got blessed because he gave. And it wasn't just money. He gave his time. He committed to his church and he went into there and he did everything that he possibly could while working full-time jobs. And God just kept on blessing him. And blessing him. And, and, and here's what ended up happening. 58 years old, he said, hey, I'm done. I retire. That's the kind of blessing. He, was a, he served 25 years in the United States Army. Anybody ever served the military? You don't get paid much. That was 25 years of his life. It was because of who he was, what his life and his walk with Christ looked like, and how creative God was. He just said, let me just bless what's around you. You don't have to keep moving from place to place and job to job and house to house and all these different things to be blessed by God. You just got to give him what you have. The woman, the woman in the Bible who was the most blessed in all of Scripture when it came to giving was the woman who gave two cents. She gave two cents. Why? Not because, not because of any other reason except that that's all she had. She gave everything. There were wealthy people that gave so much more. She said, God, this is all I have. That's all he wants is what you have. He doesn't want you what wants you don't have. But you have to understand that he has ideas that are better than yours. Number three, God always has an unseen purpose. God always has an unseen purpose. Isaiah 46.10 says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Understand, God will do whatever he wants to do regardless of what you think he should do. Let me say that again. God will always do whatever it is he wants to do regardless of what you think he should do because that's the way he operates. Behind every problem, there is a purpose. God doesn't cause problems, but his purpose prevails in the middle of them. That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 26 is all about. He makes things happen for good things. All things, cause, all things work for the good of those who love him and call it according to his purpose because well, it's, not, it's not the thing that's happening that's good. It's He's using it to bring about good. I don't know about you, but my greatest lessons in life have always come from my most epic failures. That's it. I don't count myself a failure because I failed. I count myself intelligent because I failed, because I'm smart enough. Let's not do that again. Because that didn't work the first time. Guess what? It's not going to work the second time. Or the third, fourth, fifth, sixth. How many, how many times you want to keep doing the same old thing and expecting a different result? You might be insane if you do that. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39. Oh, I'm sorry. Lost my spot. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. This is what he says. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed daily. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Here we go. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. What you're dealing with right now won't last forever. Can you get that in your spirit that what you're dealing with right now will not last forever, but what it will bring to you will last forever? Nobody wants to hear that because they don't want to deal with what they're dealing with now. You just want what God has in the glory forever without going through anything. Doesn't work that way. So we, look to, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. He always has an unseen purpose. Every path, every move, every alternate route, everywhere he leads and directs, he has a purpose. Number four, everything that God does, contrary to what you might believe, is motivated by love. Everything that God does is motivated by love. We have this feeling in this sense that, oh, I'm making a mistake, so now everything woe is me. Everything that's going on in my life is because I keep screwing up. That's not how God operates. The consequences might be that way, but God himself is motivated by love in such a way that everything he does is, is, comes from his love. When you're in the middle of a place where God doesn't make sense, that's when a devil comes to get you and say, God doesn't love you. Can't you see this? You're dealing with all this because you're just a screw-up. You have no value. God doesn't love you. If he loved you, would he really let this happen? How many folks have fallen for that? Anybody ever heard the phrase, if God was such a good God, why are all these bad things happening? That's the devil trying to convince you that it's all God's fault and that God's not real and that God doesn't love you, that he just wants to rule you with an iron fist and judge you. But that's not the God of the Bible. Everything he does is motivated by love. Psalm chapter 25 verse 10 says, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Not some of the ways, not if you get your act together, is he loving and faithful. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. How many of you, get, how many of you kids get mad at you when you say no? Does that mean you don't love them? In their eyes, oh, you just don't love me. Anybody ever heard that? Yes, I have from all three of my kids. That's not, that's, I, I, I don't want to give my kids everything that they ask for. Oh, I want to eat every, I want to eat all the candy in the house. I don't want to go to school. I don't want this. I don't want that. Because they think they know better than we do, right? Your kids, they know more than you do. Just ask them. But we, you know what, we laugh at that, we scoff at that, but that's what we do with God. God, I know, what, I know what I need better than you. So when I don't get what I want from God, it's like, oh yeah, that prayer thing, it doesn't work. Heaven doesn't listen to me. God's not real. That's, do, you see, do you see how the devil keeps on in every little moment? God's mad at me. Well, he, heaven's silent. He's not listening to me. Well, he's not real. You see the progression? That's how that works. The, devil, the devil's greatest trick that he ever pulled in all of humanity, in my opinion, is to try to convince folks that God's not real. That's the only thing he has. He only has tricks. He only has tricks to try to deceive. Number five, the last one I'm going to share with you this morning is, John, if you can come and get yourself set for a moment. So God's always, everything that God does is motivated by love. 
He will never let you down. He will always work everything out on your behalf. And when it seems like your prayers are going unanswered, he is hearing you. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's a not right now. Sometimes it's a yes. Sometimes it's I got something better for you. It's the way that works. You know, I think if we can get this this mentality out of our minds that everything, the goodness of God is connected with the goodness of my life, I think we'll begin to see God for who he really is and see him for the glory that he is. Here's, Here's one thing, you know, you've heard me say this before. I've said it a number of times. Sometimes life sucks. But let me tell you something. Even when life sucks, I love my life. Because life with, without Christ is no life. So even when I'm struggling, even when I'm sick in my body, or even when I'm in pain, even when I'm, in, in, um, in re, um, I'm broken and I'm hurting, even when I'm broke and I'm needing a financial blessing, even when I'm just everything around me, my family is falling apart, and every, if every, anything around me, even in that moment, I love my life. Because because Christ is the center of it all. And when he's the center of your life, number five, when it seems that your prayers are going unanswered, remember that God always gives us grace. Man, if it weren't for grace, where would you be? Think about that question for just a moment. Take, Take just a second Right now, just take a second and think about that question. If it were not for the grace of God, where would you be?